You're listening to the Cleveland Review Books podcast. I'm Billy Lennon. So, Philip Metris is a friend of mine from Cleveland, and I was really interested to hear about a new book coming out um, of poems that he translated from Russian into English. Um, the book's called Ochre and Rust, New Selected Poems of Sergei Gondolevsky, which is coming out October 10th from Green Linden Press. And the book was the winner of the Stephen Mitchell uh, Translation Prize. Um, so Gondlevsky is kind of an expat from the Soviet Union uh, poet, worked a lot of odd jobs. We, you know, has a complicated relationship to his homeland. We get into a lot of these topics in our conversation, uh, Phil and I do, um, including diving into some individual poems themselves. So Phil has written a number of books, including Sand Opera and Shrapnel Maps, um, which came out Copper Canyon Press a few years ago. He's won a number of awards and is one of the treasures of the Cleveland literary community and honestly the world of letters at large. So without further ado, here is our conversation. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to a special episode of the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. Um, I'm talking today with um, Phil Metris. Uh, a poet and scholar and friend of mine from back in Cleveland. Um, Phil, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Beautiful day here in Cleveland. Yeah? yeah? Not like Sunday? The Browns game looked pretty bad. No, yes. It was like a misty um, morass. But um, but yeah, today is very clear. It reminded me actually of not the 9-11-2001, that kind of that level of clarity of air. We, we rarely get totally blue skies here with clouds but today is one of those days it's awesome yeah it's pretty nice here too um so phil you have a book that you just translated or a book of a book of poems correct yeah um ochre and rust new selected poems of sergey gondlevsky from green linden press and that comes out in like october correct that's right yeah got it a nice blurb from Ilya kaminsky uh death for public that, that was from gray wolf right it was like gray wolf or coffee house that book was yeah yeah great. gray wolf yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah fantastic um so yeah how did do you want to start with um how did this book come to be or like how yeah like what got you into sergey gondlevsky in the first place and kind of like how did sure. this project come to be yeah, like a lifetime ago, like literally 30 years ago, I got a fellowship called a Thomas J. Watson Foundation Fellowship, which enabled me to study an independent project. And I chose, I don't know, for, for a lot of different reasons, I chose to study in Russia. Like these projects are always internationally based. They're called um, a Wanderjahr, which, you know, in Germany is this concept of a year where you sort of you, you wander somewhere. And, and my proposal was to study contemporary Russian poetry and its relationship to historical change. At the time, the, the Ru Russia had just emerged from the kind of Soviet nightmare. Um, and I was super passionate about 
poetry, about literature. And so there was something about the Russian thing, the enigma, the mystery, the 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 drama of Russianness that really attracted me. Um, po uh, poets like Asaf Mandelstam and Anna Akhmatova was actually uh, you know on on my shelf over here, mm -hmm. and um, you know novelists like uh, like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky really just drew my imagination and my my ardor really and Chekhov as well. Um, there was something about the way in which Russians packed in not simply aesthetic concerns or concerns about um, love, but you know politics, mortality, philosophy, religion. All of it was just contained in those novels and those poems, and and they were figures of conscience. And as you know, in our society, poets and writers are not really thought of as somehow bearers or purveyors of some kind of secret wisdom were often just looked at as weirdos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so I wanted to go to a country that was formerly an enemy country of ours where poets and writers were said to have a uh, distinctive vocation and purpose in the society. And I wanted to study with them. So nutshell is I got there, my language that I learned in college was not sufficient to doing that, uh, even though I studied for four years. And so I spent I, probably the first month just getting my feet under me, trying to soak in as much as I could about the language and speak it. And then the subsequent numbers of months, I had a teacher and uh, he helped me sort of contact and communicate with and interview a number of writers and translate a number of writers. And Gonlewski was the one who really just absolutely knocked me uh, to my feet, it knocked me off my feet. Um, it was just something about the aura of his writing. It was, um, it was beautiful musically, but it was about really kind of dark and dirty subjects, um, a degraded, masculine sort of bohemian persona, um, striking out. You know, sort of like you know, I don't know, Tom Waits or something um, in the American, in, in a Russian context or something, someone who's, you know, just really gritty and, and like struggled with alcoholism and all, all manner of other things. And so there was just a, something about him that just absolutely fascinated me. And so I really wanted to translate his work. And I started doing it then. And my first publication was first publications were translations of his work. And um, my first book publication was came out in 2003, 20 years ago, A Kindred Orphanhood. This book is like coming back to it. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like after numbers of years, knowing he's written other work and wanting to do, do him justice again. So yeah, that's, so, the, that's the story. So he's like 70 or so, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. I got that right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so these are all poems that he's written like in the last 20 years or so? Or... This is actually a fully selected volume, but since the first one was called a selected volume, I wanted this one to encapsulate not only the, those, that early work, but come up to more or less the present tense. So mm -hmm. the last poem was probably written like last year. Um, and so, yeah. How much of his work is um, like available in English? I haven't, I hadn't heard of him. But yeah. even though he's won like every like major Russian literary award, I sure 
Well, that, that's partly just the predicament of, uh, you know, literature and translation in our country. It's just not very, very well known, of course. Um, but, you know, he's he's had four works. Trans this will be the fourth work translated into English. Um, these two books of poems that I've done and then two books of prose, which are fascinating, picaresque kind of weird novels slash memoir kind of auto fiction type things mm -hmm. that he's done which are definitely worth reading but they've all come out you know in the last 20 years so yeah okay. he's flown under the radar of some of those things and i think the part of the reason is that a lot of the work that gets the most attention tends to have a kind of weird i would say slightly strange universality in the sense that it doesn't use a lot of idiomatic language it's it, it has a certain kind of prose like a flatter prose that anybody can understand um you know the the writers that do that tend to tend to have a greater reach in in the american consciousness just because the writing is just more approachable mm -hmm. and be before we like maybe get into maybe we can you can read a couple of the poems from uh, the book and maybe we can like unpack them a little bit, talk about some of the themes. Um, um, are, are there any reasons why you think it's particularly important um, that it's this collection's coming out right now in 2023? Timeliness. That's a wonderful question. I actually debated with myself about whether or not we needed it in the sense that particularly with the Ukraine war, whether, you know, another book of translations from Russian was taking up some space that maybe it, it didn't need to. But I just felt strongly enough about the work and about his commitment to independence and freedom and conscience in his own way. He's not a political writer in any stretch, but he, you know, he's chosen to live outside of the country in exile in Tbilisi and uh, the Republic of Georgia because of um, because of the danger of mm -hmm. living in that society and his and his love for the Republic of Georgia, which he which he visited in his youth. And he said, why should I spend the last five years of my life in a place where people don't want me, basically? Um, so it's it's a coming back to, for me as a writer and as a translator, it's a return to an old love, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And um, but I think what he offers us and offers readers at this uh, time and place is um, just a return to, you know, the, what we go to so much literature for, which is an encounter in language with the complexities of being human. Mm -hmm. um, in ways that transport us and that enchant us and that um, offer us an insight into the mysteries of being us. You know? Yeah, J just going through some of these poems, it's I I'm not only interested in like reading like the rest of the book, but it's gotten me like I, I want to pull back out my Dostoevsky, like maybe fire up some Tarkovsky on Criterion uh, later tonight, like just get back into all the like Russian art. Um, and on a quick side note, uh, I, a lot of my writing and publishing friends just recently spent like three weeks in Tbilisi and just, yeah, like it was so random. 
um but they they loved it like i wonder if they like came across him somehow because there was some writing stuff there i wasn't aware that he was in tbilisi but i've said and heard tbilisi more in like, the last two months than i have the rest of my life combined for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> Are you friendly with Jeff Parker? Jeff Parker. I'm not sure. Is he in New York? I haven't. I don't think I've met him. Uh, well, no. Western Mass. Okay. Because I think he was recently there. That's why I asked. Um, I can I can definitely ask her. Like, people were just there. It seemed like it was a whole thing. Like, okay. everyone was just in Tbilisi. Like, I don't... Um. And Did yeah. Lucy in, in the Russian imagination is something like Italy would be in our own, which is a southern, a country of kind of southern extroversion, music, wine, mm-hmm. uh, great food, um, you know, sense of, of family. It's it's a culture that um, that is very warm in a lot of different ways. And the geography of it is quite beautiful as well. So. Yeah, and and not to go too off topic, but I I believe I did just see an article in the New York Times about like Russian exiles in Georgia and like they're getting a lot of flack and it's a whole dynamic for obvious reasons. But interesting, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I saw some like uh, like graffiti that says like Ruskies go home or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Would you Would you like to read one or two poems and um, sure. talk about them? Absolutely. Um, if there's any that that particularly drew your eye, please uh, okay. let me know. Otherwise, I'll just I'll I'll read some of the ones. Um, just what about the ones that out. you sent me? Like the first oh. ones. I think we're gonna oh. um and stay tuned out. The student when when this comes out, we it'll be alongside um an excerpt of a couple of these poems. Um, okay. For the listeners, um, look out for that. Cool. Um, one of the things he does in his late work is he often reflects back on um, people who've passed. And uh, one of the people that he's written the most, certainly the person he's written the most poems about is his mother, who was very devoted to him and who he constantly disappointed. And I say that because I remember there's one story he told me when we were on a reading tour together. (laughs) so funny we're in mcdonald's and uh this is why we listen to the podcast to hear this stuff <laughs> yeah 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 for sure he's like you know i really i, I just like have disappointed my mother once when i was young i vowed that i would do better to her and in my life and i cut my wrist to uh to write a note in blood of a vow that i would uh oh you know to treat her well but he cut it in such a place that he was bleeding profusely. And his <laughs> no, mother no. came in, screamed, and, and brought him directly to the hospital. It just caused her a problem. <laughs> Further problems. So this is a little bit about her love of music. Um, mm-hmm. It's This is the one on page 91. When marches would play, my mother would swoon. Mm-hmm. When marches would play, my mother would swoon. Amusing, insensitive relatives dissolving into tears, completely in tune with the come-hither sigh of brass winds. It looked like some simple sort of atavism. My mother was a simple Soviet clerk, 
but then would behave as if no socialism reigned over one-sixth of the universe. As if a grand old regiment had sailed into some backwater orchestra playing a dusty street while giddy mademoiselles plundered dressers for all their silver rings. My mother died on the 9th of May like she'd planned her personal exit, heartbreaking marches, music all day, as if it were collective catharsis. Sleep easy, mom, to the music of May. Beyond understanding himself or life, this black sheep, this mama's boy, raises his hand to the cap in his mind. Thanks, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just a sweet, it's a sweet portrait, um, tender portrait of a woman that uh, meant so much to him. And, and of himself, you know, just, you know, just a boy always never quite fully um, a man, I suppose, right? This black sheep, this mama's boy. The, uh, the simple Soviet clerk, like just from, I don't know whether it's been like Svetlana Alexievich or like, um, what's the, way? is it secondhand time? Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Just the the unawareness of the world historical they're living out or whatever. Um, I, I don't, I don't have anything deeper to say than that, but it reminds me a little bit of some of that book. Um, totally. I mean, that's a brilliant, Soviet clerk. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant book. And you see in that book, in all of those interviews that Alexeyevich does, the kind of almost natural philosophical impulse of ordinary people that we don't really have in the society. It's so funny, you know, like how different, like you could just ask like seemingly almost anyone over there and they'll get deep on you all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're such a practical people here, you know, we're so, um, so different in our orientation. Um, yeah, so if, these are, these are broad stereotypes, but I think there's a real truth to that. Yeah. No, if you do that, then you're just uh, the crazy guy at Phoenix cedar lee like you're the crazy guy in the coffee shop if you're if you're doing that instantly I, i've no i mean I've, I've i've been that person in cleveland <laughs> like um yeah um lovely uh w was there another one perhaps i mean or? we we literally could read a bunch of poems like to his mom and they'd be great um, <laughs> um let's see Yeah, I'm gonna do that just just to kind of just to try something here. Yeah, so this yeah, is for sure. Early earlyish poem, in which he's remembering um, where they used to vacation in the in the far provinces of a place called Buscachi. This is on page eighteen and nineteen. It's to his mother. I'm there. Far past the salty locust-filled steps where in the wild gray roves still wolves still roam. Perhaps Buscachi still exists, just six scattered shacks with gardens to the Volga. That summer was uncommonly nasty, raining day after day, drenching the boats in their slips. Why does this come into focus as through binoculars from the field of memory? 10 years later, as a migrant laborer guest 
of the carnival rabble of settled freaks, I worked in the salty, locust-filled steps at the logical conclusion of Volga Peaks. Why has a pastoral, blue-shirted childhood come to my heart in remembrance? How much water, my God, has flowed since the original age of communal apartments? It means we're dying, and it's almost all over, and the Volga runs into the Caspian Sea. All sorts of people stand on the bank of the river. This is the Volga flowing to the Caspian Sea. Everything that's happened to us will happen again. My eyes will swim beneath their lids at night. You'll be 25 again, and I'll be one. Fireworks of blue pigeons will burst in azure skies. I'll find you in an apartment now blurred by tears where the first TV stood, preemie of progress, where a reproduction of old holiness would gaze at us from behind a shower of hair. I'll find you mending some clothes. The needle under a slanting ray will gleam. Remember how we went to seed the four of us in this small village with a Tatar name. The magic crystal of the TV's bulbous eye fills up with blue. The Volga appears. You're really not tired, Ma? Well, neither am I. So let's keep going. We're almost there. Really good. Man. Yeah, there's some there's some lines in here that still kill me. Everything that's happened to us will happen again. Yeah, there's the the guy at the coffee shop again, the philosopher. <laughs> uh no, I the um one thing that I was thinking so I get this is tied to a question of like why did he eventually like leave Russia? But I'm I'm imagining he's writing a lot of these like being outside of Russia and like having these pleasant like these memories of his childhood or the these good memories of, of when he was in Russia. Like it, is writing poetry for him a way of like keeping that thread alive with his own personal identity or i mean yeah, that's yeah. all poetry though i'm just curious like yeah so in the introduction i allude to the fact that one of the things that he shared with me in the, the original interview was he said uh i believe that as karl Yenka once said who's a, another russian writer uh, my homeland is russian literature my homeland is russian literature and that just like kind of blew me away because of course that's what we all feel those of us who are you know readers and and writers and artists that that we belong in some particularly intensive way to 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 the texts that matter most to us and that they sort of house us they shelter us they they enliven us um and so from the start, like as soon as he became an adult, he opted out of the Soviet system. He did odd jobs. He worked as like a, you know, like a night um, watchman, you know, in a factory or he did this sort of weird um, like truck, um, truck driving or um, other, other kinds of labors where he essentially opted out of certainly the system of privilege that writers could opt into. And um, opted out of what he thought was a totally um, morally bankrupt uh, society. So in some respects, what's happening now is very much of a continuity with what he experienced as, as a young man dealing with the, the ethical questions of living in a society that is so um, 
so damaged, so immoral in his eyes. Um, yeah, so it's very much a piece, I think. And so, yeah, literature has always been that place where he felt most at home, you know? Yeah, so he could he could opt out of, like, that system and just be content doing odd jobs because the, the the literature itself was at home. And it makes me think about Roland, or sorry, not Roland, but uh, Borges, when I think somebody asked him, like, aren't you, like, sad that you, like, wasted so much of your life reading? And he's, like, reading is living or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. And so if, if literature can like be a homeland and like a place of like belonging, um, I was going to ask this question as it, as its own separate thing, but it, it's even more interesting to me in the context of what he said to you about Russian literature being his homeland. Could you talk about like the act of translation then um, in the, in that context? Thanks. Yeah. Um, I hope it's come through that one of the strange things that this, that his work kind of bent me towards was not only a passion for the music of language, but also just trying to see what I could do in rhyme. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, um, it's so not cool, particularly in experimental and avant-garde circles to, to have end rhyme, you know, direct M rhyme. But I thought, you know, you know, in my first book, actually, of translations of his work, I, I used a lot of slant rhyme because I thought, oh, well, this is at least kind of more cool than direct <laughs> rhyme. Um, but, you know, in the process of continuing to kind of read his work and, and my own development, my own writing, I just got more and more interested in seeing what I could do, you know, with that very old, um, potentially cliche um, inducing effect of of sort of end rhyme and also of some some rhythm and meter like reading some of these poems i think oh, like the translations like okay i got the music there mm -hmm. it's so hard to get some of that sway and swing from the original which is so apparent um so that was that was a huge challenge something i've worked on um, for a long time and it's imperfect um it's it's an approximation um but i think ultimately like in terms of translation in terms of the theory of translation i would say that sometimes people get stuck in a deficit model of thinking about translation which is like oh we're losing so much poetry is what's lost in translation blah 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 but and thinking a lot about preservation oh i need to preserve this or so that or the other thing i think ultimately a translation lives insofar as that it lives in the new language you know like it 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 feels like a poem okay um, okay it's, it's... okay walter ben you mean okay got you <laughs> yeah, right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> i mean that's just correct uh, his, yeah that that essay yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Totally on board. Retweet, but then you know. Retweet, that. retweet. <laughs> no, I took I took like a really intensive like translation theory course in undergrad. And oh cool. I feel like I know way too it's like, oh all right, Schleiermacher. Like, let's talk Schleiermacher. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh I feel like I know way too like I'm not saying I could lecture right now on like uh translation theory. But um, I feel like uh, we got really deep into that, <laughs> a lot yeah. of that stuff. Um, so I guess 
Hmm. Not to call you restless, Phil, but your your impulse to like go to Russia and to translate this is that is there a sense of like wanting to belong to something like beyond what you immediately belong to um, in undertaking yeah. such a project? Yeah, I mean, it's clear why I would have been attracted to this other kind of roving, restless seeker his journeys um particularly to the south of russia and into the republics you know places like the republic of georgia and elsewhere um felt so familiar to me and of course i mean there's a way in which you know joseph campbell etc cetera, etc cetera, like that idea the concept of someone who's journeying to find something even if it's just to find um find one's own uh, ability to do that thing, that mm-hmm. movement, the travel, that seeking. Um, it's so, it's so deeply ingrained in us. So, yeah, I mean, like I, I felt so alienated from American society at that time, partly because the, the main, you know, source of that alienation was you know, not only all of the things that are here today, you know, racism, classism, um, homophobia, all, all of that stuff. But we had just come off a war, the Persian Gulf War in 1991, which was so universally supported and celebrated by the media that I felt like I was living in a, a society that was um, sort of pathologically addicted to its own lies. And mm-hmm. uh, I really felt like i didn't understand you know this place um felt like young goodman brown or something you know like (laughs) from that hawthorne story where he leaves his little village and you know goes into the woods and everybody everybody from the village is a devil worshiper or something like Mm -hmm. and so not that you know i'm any you know any more moral than anyone else but i was horrified by the celebration of war you know my dad's a veteran um there's nothing more serious in, uh, than going to war but it was made into some kind of a super bowl celebration it was very strange um, mm-hmm. so so that that really thrust me into searching somewhere else turns out that russia was no picnic and it was no ideal society either mm-hmm. but you you know it gave me an opportunity to to get out of you know this bubble and just sort of explore the world and and how i wanted to be in it i get i guess one one more question i might have is um i I don't want to like mislabel you here but just in in encountering your work over the past however many years and i guess like the way um just like your general like conduct as a literary citizen there's like a it's there's there's like a sacredness to like that's like in your work that is like very precious and it's in like stark contrast to like working within an environment of like hyper war and like american imperialism like are you are you like aware of that um that tension and like just like one of like the tasks of the artist is like preserving that within such a um 
I'm not asking that very well. Like, no, I, I think with, you, within you. those fires, like that, that you perhaps ran away from in 91. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of my work um, begins with attention to and a, a witness to and testifying to a lot of the things that, that are wrong, you know, in the society and just naming them in a kind of um, direct and clear eyed way as, as so many other writers do. I'm not inventing anything in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. At the end of the day, I am a person who hopes um, at the end of the day, I think there's something beautiful in us as well. And so the work, you know, particularly by the time I work on a full complete book, you see both aspects of being human, right? The systems and structures which which defile our human dignity, our human sacredness, and also all the ways in which we find um, find joy and find attention to um, that which kind of creates an alternative to those things. So yeah, they're both very alive. And, and I almost feel like one without the other, to me as a writer, as an artist, would be only showing part of the, the picture and um, would be kind of dishonest. You know, if it was just protest, if it was just outrage, there would be no hope, you know, if it was just hope and ecstasy and delight, then it would be like, yeah, but you haven't dealt with the stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that characterization. It's, I think that that's real there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you, there's something of a lighthouse about you, Phil. Um, and it's always, uh, it's always great to talk to you and spend time with you. Um, Thanks. Do you, so the the book again it's called Ochre and Rust New Selected Poems of Sergei Gandlevsky. Um and when's that coming out? October 10th. We're going to have a a Zoom reading and Gandlevsky's going to recite some of his work. Fantastic. Um, and yeah. we will also share that information. Cool. Um well, is there anything else you you wanted to like touch on or is that a good place to leave it, Phil? Let, let's just end with a poem. How about that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I have to find one that's not too too dark. <laughs> he has plenty of those. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I think this is this is good. Um, it's called Waltz. Whether I talk with my wife about art or modestly observe silence, when night arrives, is it not the heart that comes to obsess us? Or with false teeth gleaming, I lecture my lovely daughter on nothing but the same something I once lectured my wife, the identical theme. Or with my son, the hard-nosed Grisha, I curse tyrants when liquored, pose as above the same peaceful stanza about my wife and daughter. And when Alyosha Magaric and I leave for a multi-day bender, there's just one explanation. It's, he's fine, this Lyosha, a real friend. If, with a primitive goal of poo-poo, I'm taking the hounds for a saunter, who among us could really take issue? It's just another of love's orders. It's crucial to make friends, seek a mate, nervously smoke sig after sig, if possible, also to copulate and give bouquets to the dogs. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Phil. This was such a 
such a pleasure. Really brightened up, brightened my day. Oh, it's um, great to see you. Yeah, great to see you. I'll see you um, uh, sometime this fall, hopefully. If not, well, yeah, the, the Zoom reading for the, the launch of the book. But um, all right, well, yeah, take care. Thanks, Billy. Take care. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. Producer and artist A-Live of Cleveland's own Moomin Collective graciously provided the music we use for the intro, as well as the music you're listening to right now. We publish reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts online at clereviewofbooks.com about three times per week. We recommend signing up for our bi-weekly newsletter, a link to which can be found in the show notes, as we all adjust to a shifting social media environment. You can also purchase issues and merch, including hats, tote bags, and shirts in our online store. I'd also like to shout out all of our amazing editors, including Zach Peckham, Bree DeManda, Robert Giddings, Alana Pakros, Angelo Maniage, Morgan Ford, Michael Credico, Helen Rauner, Jacob Brueggemann, Philip Harris, Allie Black, Isabel Blakeway-Phillips, Eli Scope, and R.A. Washington. See you next time.